have been on a series developing the foundation for divine exploits. It's a five-part series. We are in session four, and next Sunday, by the grace of God, we will do the fifth session. And this particular series is to help us to have the proper foundations that we need to have in the context of God taking us through a journey of divine exploits through this season, through this year. And so I want to encourage you to revisit the messages. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want you to know that many times until you listen to a message over and over and read a scripture over and over, it does, you don't tap into, the more you read it over and over, the more you tap into the power and the spirit behind the word. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. But you and I must understand that the spirit of the word is not on the surface. The Bible says deep, calls on to the deep. The letter is what you see on the surface or hear the first time. It's when you go from that first fleshly, soulish realm and press into your spirit, your spirit connecting with the spirit in the word, that you start to see the word influencing your soul much more and even influencing your body. So you need to commit to a lifestyle of reading the word as best as possible every time. Hallelujah. And so today's title is Sacrifice. Looking at the concept of sacrifice for as a divine, as a foundation for divine exploits. Sacrifice or sacrificial lifestyle. Now, I believe that every Christian, everyone who is called of God understands that we are called, we are being called through an act of sacrifice. The sacrifice that Christ gave to us on the cross is what allows us to be Christian. And then he calls us into a lifestyle of sacrifice as well. The cross is a symbol of sacrifice. He went to that cross, laid down his life, sacrificed his life, and rose again that we might have life. And then he said, anyone who will follow him must also carry a cross, which means must also live a life of sacrifice. Not to die for another human being, because that has been paid once and for all, but to continue to understand the different ramifications of sacrificial lifestyle that we ought to live. This is one of the very, very fundamental truths for living a lifestyle of exploits. There are several examples of scripture apart from Christ who died once, rose again, and through that today, billions of us are children of God. A big sacrifice by one man, the Bible says, through the death of one man, the death and resurrection of one man, many have become saved. So we can see that in his life and we can see it in the life of many other people as well. There is something about divinity that manifests every time humanity sacrifices. There is something about the manifestation of divinity in the affairs of mankind when humanity sacrifices unto God. So this is a very important aspect of our foundational truths that I don't want us to joke with. We've looked at waiting on God. We've looked at appreciation and thanksgiving. And then session three last week, we looked at meditation and reasoning. And all these things kind of build on one another. Many times when we meditate and reason with God, He urges us to make a sacrifice. He urges us to do something, to make a shift. He calls on us to take a step. And usually those steps are steps of sacrifice. A sacrifice is simply giving up something that is of value for something that is considered more important. 
A sacrifice can never be a sacrifice if what is given is not considered more, if, if what is being given to, as to exchange for, is not considered more important. And also, the other element of it is that it has to be something of value. Nobody sacrifices anything that is of no value and calls it a sacrifice. A sacrifice must cost you something. It must inconvenience, it must demand something from you, it must make you do something that will be intentional. Nobody sacrifices by chance. Nobody sacrifices without knowing. You cannot sacrifice without knowing. A sacrifice will be something you know because it will touch you in one way or the other. We have read the story of Abraham mightily today. We will still go back to where we read the Bible's reading from Genesis 22 verse 1 to 19. But I want to just start on the instructions God first gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I'll read those first three verses. Genesis chapter 12 from verse 1 to 3. Now, I want us to know something about Abraham. Abraham was chosen as his name Abram then, was the son of a man called uh, Terah, who at that time was favored by God to be the person that God wanted to build a new nation from. And what we need to know is before we get to Genesis 12, there has been a lot of things that have happened. Remember the flood in Genesis 8 and man being restored through Noah, through the lineage of Noah. And then much more importantly, if you remember the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, the Bible says that everyone was of one language and of one accord. And they came together and they said, let us build a tower and make a name for ourselves. And God scattered them. And God put them in disarray by giving them, scattering their language so that they cannot speak in that one language. So they could not fulfill that mission. But that very act of God also led to man now speaking different languages, aggregating and now starting to call themselves, starting to call for themselves things that did not exist as their God. The rebellion in the heart of man was so thick. So there were many gods. They would put wood together. Uh, or go and bow down to the sun. Some groups will go and worship the rivers. And that was the origin of the many, many, many gods that people worship till this day. So God, in his wisdom, decided, because right from Genesis chapter 3, he has said that there is going to be a plan whereby the seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan, which has always been responsible for the chaos in the world. And that that, that, that seed will come through the woman. So God started his plan of the seed of the woman through the lineage of Abraham. And the plan was that Abraham should leave his people to a brand new land that he was going to show him. And so this is the context of Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Let's read verse 1 together. Let's go. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, let's read it again. Let's read it again, verse 1, again. Now, the Lord has said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and your father's house. Somebody say, leave certainty. And then he says what at last? He said, to a land that I will show you. Say, go to uncertainty. That is part of the sacrifice. You leave certainty for uncertainty. You leave comfort for discomfort. He said, go out of your country where you know what is safe, your safe zone, your safe space, 
your relaxed area, the place you know, the territory you are familiar with. Go to a land that I will show you. Now let's go to verse 2. And then he said in verse 2, verse 2 now. He said, and I will make you a great, verse 2, verse 2, please. I will make you, let's go together. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Now, man was living under all kinds of curses. At that point, the, the, the earth has been cursed. The, 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 the woman has been put into labor and all those kind of things that we heard God speak about in Genesis 3 was happening. And when Noah, God used Noah to rescue man from the total destruction from the flood, as many that were saved with Noah, began, as I said, began in the tower, of, after the tower of Babel, they began to worship other gods. So they carried on, in many cases, the curses. But as many, even Abraham, Abraham and Terah at that time did not know God. They were also just worshipping idols like everybody else. But God in his wisdom chose this family and he said, if you leave this your people, leave this your country, go to where I want to take you, he said, I will make you into a great nation. That nation will first be physical and then it's today a spiritual nation that you and I belong to and we are a part of, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. But the first thing he said, he said, I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Hallelujah. Verse 3. He said, I will bless those who bless you. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is where we inherited our blessings today as those who have also received the promise of Abraham through Jesus Christ, now manifested through Jesus Christ. So Abraham was instructed to leave his people so that he can undertake this task of establishing a nation. And you know, the Bible says, and he departed. It's one of my favorite scriptures. And he departed. Verse 4, he just departed. He just obeyed. He just followed God. And as he journeyed, God took him through a process of waiting and testing so that he can determine his true motivation. This is one thing I would like us to learn about God, especially as we look at living a sacrificial lifestyle. You would want to ask yourself, why should God test Abraham when he called him and he knew that he would do it as well? Why should he put him through a test again? I don't know whether you ever reasoned that way. That why, should, why should he do that? He called him. It's not that Abraham went to God and said, please call me. I want you to use me. And then God said, let me test you to see whether you are ready. No, God called him. So he knew he could do it. But you see, as part of the sovereignty of God and the will power that he has given to man, man is always going to be tested by God. Because what God does, he does not reverse. When God said to them, have dominion, he said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, you shall not eat. He didn't say you cannot eat. There are two different things. You see, if he say you cannot eat, that means he has limited their power that it will be impossible for them to eat it. But when he say you shall not eat, he expected them to submit their will to his command. Praise the Lord. So, and it's still the same principle today. Everyone who is called of God is expected to submit his will to God's will. And so God continues to test us in different ways. God does not tempt anyone. The devil tempts people. 
God tries us. He tests us so that we ourselves can have proof of our faith in him by ourselves. This is very important. The more you pass the tests of God in life, the more you are assured of your own commitment to him. It's just like the earthly exams that we pass. If you have gone through a degree or a qualification and there were tests that you needed to take or assessments that you needed to take, you know, the more you take them and you pass them, the more you are not just convincing your instructors and examiners that you know what you are doing, which you are doing, but the main thing is that inside you, you gain more confidence. Do you understand what I'm saying? You gain more confidence that you are now a master of the subject. So that you, you, you assure yourself. So many times when God tests us, it's for us, we ourselves, to understand where we stand with him. As you pass through the different tests of life, this is how you find that God deals with you and I. And he encourages us. So Genesis chapter 22, where we read earlier on, is where I want us to go straight now from verse 9. We'll just pick a few verses This is when God had asked him to go and sacrifice. So Genesis 22, verse 9 to 12. Thank you. We'll read it. Genesis 22, from verse 9. Thank you. The Bible says, Then they came to the place of God, to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. You know what had happened? God had told him to take his son, his only son, and sacrifice him. And as they were going, they were going up the mountain, we read, Isaac asked, he said, I can see the wood, I can see the fire. He said, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? That is in verse 8. And what did God say to his son? What did Abraham say to his son? He said, the Lord will provide the sacrifice for himself. And that phrase is very important. The Lord will provide the sacrifice for himself. Whatever God is asking you to give is because he has provided it already. God will never demand from you what he has never put in your hand. So it is foolishness to hold back anything. The Bible says, nothing that we have received in this world that has not been given to us. Nothing. Everything. Esther's beauty was given to her by God. That is what paved the way for her access to the king. Not just the access, but to become queen. It was given by God. There is nothing she could have done to the favor she had before the king after they prayed and fasted when when the Jews were about to be destroyed and she had to intervene through her uncle Mordecai's instructions and advice is a privilege that is given by God. So when people say, I have no time, I have no money, I have no this, I have no that. What they are saying is that they are making God a liar. Because God has given you everything. The Bible says according to his divine power, he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of his son Jesus Christ. So he came there, built an altar and placed the wood in order. And that's where he bound his son Isaac. Let's read together from verse 10 to verse 12. Everybody, let's go. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, 
Abraham, Abraham, so he said, here I am. Now let's read verse 12 together, everybody loud and clear. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now you have proven that you thank you for the scripture. Now you have proven that your motivations are right. Now you have demonstrated that you don't, there is nothing that is too big for you to let go. Many of us are not walking in the realm of exploits because of this one thing. The fear of losing something. The fear of, of uh, 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 inconvenience. The fear of failure. This was a man called to leave certainty to uncertainty. If he was to look in the natural, it was more convenient to stay where he knew and everything was working well. But to now go to a land that not only was that land far away or was not, uh, 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 is not a place he knows, he was not even told where he is, where the land is. My point is that until we come to the place in our spiritual journey whereby whatever God is placing a demand on us to yield up for him, to give up for him, and we trust him totally and live our lives in his hands, until we come to that place, we cannot walk in some degree of divine exploits. Nothing will change in some cases until you take st steps that God will ask you to take that may look like uncertainties, like Peter stepping out of the boat to walk on water, that may look like something that is impossible or has not been done before. And, and yet, on your inside, you are settled because you understand that it is a sacrifice that God is calling for you to partake of. Things don't change if we don't take such steps by faith. This is why next week, as we round up the series, we'll be looking at faith as it helps us. If you look at the series as it builds on one another, it, 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 as, as we have listed it, they kind of build on one another. So we looked at waiting on God, understand how to seek God's face and the importance of waiting on God. Then we say it's very important when you are relating with God to live a life of appreciation and thanksgiving because it allows you to access God all the time. And then last week, we looked at meditation and reasoning. Many times when you are thankful and your life is, uh, uh, you know, always appreciating God, you will always command his presence. And one of the things that you will benefit from when you command his presence is the ability to reason with him. The ability to always hear from him by yourself. What God wants for you and I as Christians is not for us to be people who have to hear from God through others, but to have the ability to reason with him. But what this reasoning culminates to many times is that he tells us to make shifts, turns, sacrifice things. At times, some of those sacrifices may not be things that look so big. They may just be sacrificing your ego. This is why at times you find that there are family tensions that are unnecessary. Relational tensions that are uncalled for. Tensions in the workplace that are un unnecessary simply because the parties involved do not allow the wisdom of God to make them make the appropriate sacrifices. There is no price for winning an argument. You can argue and put all your points, especially those of you who are very educated. You know, you know how to write big, big reports. So 
you even structure your argument from the abstract to the conclusion. <laughs> you see, this is the point I want you to know. You see, introduction. <laughs> and you start your argument from there. Your aim and objectives, you put them together. <laughs> and this is what I want. I'm not talking about this, so that is my scope and limitations. <laughs> and you argue and argue. And at the, at the end of the day, yes, you may win, but it may have strained your relationship with your friend may have strained your relationship with your brother, your sister, or your spouse, or your child, or your parent. It is senseless most times. Many times the Holy Spirit will just tell you, reason with me, keep quiet. Keep quiet. That's the wisdom of God. It is a sacrifice to your flesh to keep quiet at that time, because your flesh will be revolting badly. You will say you have to talk. You have to give it back to them. They are lying. You know that. But you know clearly that the Holy Spirit said, sacrifice it, give it up. It is part of the hallmark of a Christian to know the ability, to have the ability to be able to sacrifice, especially after reasoning with God. This is a man that has waited for a child for 25 years. Look at that. He is told that he will be a father of many nations, and then he started waiting. At that time, he didn't have a child. And he started that journey with this God, no going to the land that he was going to be shown, just following diligently. And then at a point he said, I don't, look, you have not given me one child in Genesis 15. He said, you have not given me one child. He said, is it this Eliezer that is born to my house that will be the child? God said, no. Later on, the, the wife got very impatient. said, go into my maid and have a child. The Ishmael was born. He said, this is God. He said, not the one that you have made by yourself, but the one that will come from your loins and through the womb of your wife, Sarah. And it became very difficult, but he continued to believe God. He continued to trust God. Now that child came. And to, to crown it all, God demanded for that very child. Didn't demand for any of his servants. Didn't demand for Ishmael. But he demanded for Isaac, the so-called covenant child. But as Abraham passed this test, I pray that every one of us will continue to pass the tests of life that God gives to us. In the name of Jesus. Just like you pass tests in your secular life, your, your studies and your uh, uh, occupations or your vocations, just like you pass tests and assessments and you are moved to the next level, that's how it works in the spirit. God is not going to commit to you anything that he has not tested your capacity to embrace. No. If God knows that something is going to destroy you, he is not going to give it to you until he can see. This is why some people are struggling with money. This is why some people are struggling. They work hard, work hard, do the things that should bring money, but money continues to elude them because they are refusing to pass the test of money. And God knows that money can destroy people. It can destroy people. Money, wealth, power, fame, that's what destroyed Solomon. That's what took Solomon's heart away. So God will not necessarily allow those things to happen to you because he has not seen you pass the test until God can see that if this, my son, can handle 10,000 pounds at a go, 50,000 pounds, 100,000 pounds, 1 million pounds at a go, and yet he remains a humble person who is always seeking my face, who is always still propagating my word, who is always in a position to want to help others and always want to do the things that are of the kingdom, then I will not let money destroy him. So every one of us must understand that the tests we need to pass, we must pass 
If we want answers to certain prayers, if we want certain things to work for us, how can God count on you? How can he count on me? When he was leaving, Jesus Christ called Peter in John chapter 20. But stay where we are now. But he called Peter and he said to him, he said, do you love me? He asked him three times, do you love me? He said, take my, tend, tend my sheep. He said, feed my sheep. Then he said, do you love me? He said, tend my lamb. He said, do you love me? He said, take care of my sheep. Then Peter said, but Lord, you know I love you. He had to ask him those questions because this was the final test. This was no longer uh, fish time and following time. He was living and he was going to hand over this very important work to this one man to lead. So Peter had to pass that test by making sure that when he answered Christ, he fulfilled the mission. And we know that after that, God began to use Peter much more powerfully than ever before. What God said to Abraham, we can learn from in Genesis chapter 22, from verse 15. Genesis 22, from verse 15 to verse 19. Genesis 22, verse 15 to verse 19. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because, I'm reading verse 16 now, verse 16, thank you. He said, and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing. Somebody say, because I will do it. He will fulfill his word. He said, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, just to qualify it very well. You have not withheld your son, your only son, then the blessings promised. In Genesis chapter 1 verse uh, in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 it starts to come to pass. Look at verse 17. Look at what he said. Because you have done this, go to verse 17. Because you have done this thing, he said, What? Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sun which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall do what? possess the gate of their enemies. Your descendants shall be given power from on high to perform the things that I have called them to do in destroying the enemy. Because you have done this one thing. Jesus came, he told the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. He said there is one thing you need to do. One thing, many times is just that one thing. And until you do that one thing in that phase of life, everything remains stagnant or even lost, as the case was for the rich young ruler. You will not lose God's presence in the name of Jesus. One thing you need to do. There is nobody God calls for any important assignment that will not be required to make a sacrifice. You will have to give up convenience. You will have to give money. You will have to give things of your time. You will have to make your abilities made, used. He said, but because you have done this thing. Many, many years ago, I was uh, in my early 20s, barely 20s. Before I got married, 23-ish, 23, 24, that kind of stage in the early 90s. And uh, I got into a town. And uh, I, I went to that town. I got a job as a young lecturer in a, in, a, in a polytechnic. This is in northern Nigeria, in Kaduna, northern Nigeria. 
And uh, I started doing the job. And then I found myself in a church. Many of you have heard this story before. And I got to that church and I saw that the man of God was trying, really trying to make things work. But he was really struggling because there was no choir. The instruments were there. And then the choir, they come at random. And you know, and I could sense, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. I mean, I saw him once at an event when we were doing our youth service. But we didn't have a one-to-one contact or something. So God said to me, he said, you must do something about this choir. I had never sang in a choir. I don't even know if I could sing. See, today I don't know if I can sing or not. I just like to sing. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I didn't know if I could sing. But one thing was that I saw there and then that I had to connect to that. So after the service, I went to the man of God. I think it was my second Sunday or so there. I went to the man of God and... He said, Brother Dave, God must have brought you like this. Just carry on whatever he lays on your heart to do. So I picked up that challenge. But as soon as I did that thing, God started to bring people to the church. And before we know it, we had a group of about 10 people. Three of us were constantly leading worship. And the church worship service went up a notch. Believe me. But as soon as I responded to that, because it was a lot of sacrifice. Now we had to be doing choir practice, things that were really taking my time a lot. Uh, but I had to be doing those things. And because I was young, but I was one of those who was working, most of the people in the group were still in school and so on. So a lot of times I had to fund many things, even though I had limited resources myself. And uh, so to cut the long story short, this is how I sat in my office one day. And two men walked in and they said, are you David Oloki? After about two years of doing that, they said, are you David Oloki? I said, yes. He said, our boss wants to see you. I said, who is your boss? I don't know your boss. Where have you come from? They said we are from so-so-so company, one of the biggest engineering companies in, at that time in our country, indigenous companies. And uh, they said they want to see you. I said, okay, so I hope everything is fine. He said, this is that uh, somebody gave our boss your name that you can, uh, that you are very good in structures and that our boss is really desperately looking for a stru- structural engineer, a civil engineer, but with a structural bias because all of them are civil engineers with water bias. You know, civil engineers... We are the engineers that do everything. We are the best of the engineers. All those other ones, they are not serious. They are not serious at all. We do water. We do foundations. We do buildings. We do bridges. Come on. We have to, we have to be given the credit. Hallelujah. <laughs> so he said to me, most of them are water buyers, but we want somebody with structures buyers. I said, okay. I didn't know these people. I went with them. The next day, I prepared. They came. Sent a car to me with a driver. Took me to the place. And to cut the long story short, that's how I got my first major professional work. That was December 1994. A year after that, by that time, my wife and I were courting. We were thinking of how we would get married. I could hardly pay my rent at that time. But we knew that God wanted us to marry. I said to her, let's just trust God that we're going to have a fantastic wedding. By July 1995, six months into that work, a project came and they supplied us with so many vehicles and I got two to myself. Me that I did not have a vehicle just a year before. I got two to myself. And before we knew it, everything just went through. By December 95, when we were married, it would seem as if that is how we have been living our lives all along. But it was just a transformation of a lifestyle. And then God began to do things and so on and so forth. Now, my point is that I ask myself, what if I did not throw myself into the service of that church at that time? I don't know, because it was like a test. It was like a test. It 
placed a demand on me. And not only were we singing in the choir, we went for a lot of rural outreaches. I was made the vice president of the youth youth leaders as well. The youth leader was a, a, a captain in the in the military at that time. Young man, he's going to be with the Lord now. Was, was a young man, and we bonded together so well. So everything was just speaking, but it was a lot of demand. We'll go and preach some weekends. We'll do Friday night, Saturday night in some rural villages. Come back and still minister on Sunday morning, you know. But all those things, all those things, when I look back, I was just doing it because God commanded it. But when I look back, I see that when the reward came, it was obvious that God was in it. And since that time, my life has been like that. My life has been like that. I can give you many, many stories like that. When you sacrifice because you have done this, because you have done this, the Bible says God said to Abraham, he said, in blessing I will bless you. In multiplying I will multiply you. Because you have done this. Let's go to verse 18. Genesis 22 verse 18. Again, he said, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Conditional. Because you have not withheld your child, because you have obeyed my voice, all your seed of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we know that we don't serve God for rewards. We don't come to God and say, you know, unless you're in Pentiraska, you know Pentiraskas? Pentecostals who are rascals, we call them Pentiraskas. <laughs> unless you are a Pentiraska, that's when you come to God and say, Lord, if you want me to do this, you must do this for me. <laughs> Because some people pray like that. They say, Lord, I want to do this thing for you, but you know you have to buy me that car first. No, those are Pentecostals. <laughs> Proper Pentecostals just come to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Use me. And the Bible says when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what? All of that things shall be added to you. He said, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You know one of the reasons why I know that by the special grace of God, again, I'm not boasting, why I know that by the special grace of God, I cannot fail in ministry and I will always have help for more than 25 years. I use this life to help many pastors, serve them, serve them. I preach like them. I support them. I give as if I'm going to die there. So there is no way, there is no way, no devil, no devil can make my work fail. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I never sowed a bad seed. I walk, if you see me in some churches where I used to preach, I preached so much in Winners. I went to Ethiopia Church to preach. After I finished preaching there, somebody came. He said, how long have you known Bishop Oedebo? I said, it's not more than five years. I drank into him so much that I started preaching. I came to this country in 2000, just after six years of being in Winners. When I preached first time in All Nations Church in Wolverhampton, one Ghanaian woman came to me. He said, you must be an Oedebo man. <laughs> it's just recently that God has been delivering me to have my own kind of way. I drank into him so much. Not that I had any issues with him. I still respect the man and the ministry so much today. It's one of the most blessed ministries on earth. One of the most blessed ministries. And so I give myself to those things. And I find that, you see, because you do certain things, certain rewards are on the way. Mark chapter 10. Let's read it very quickly from verse 27. To verse 30. Mark chapter 10 from verse 27 to verse 30. Peter came. He said, Lord, we have left all and we have followed you. We have left all. Mark 10, 27 to 30. He said, we have left all to follow you. Let's go to verse 27. Verse 27. Very quickly. Thank you. 
Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Verse 28, very quickly. Look at that. Then Peter began to say, see, we have left all and followed you. Verse 29. Verse 29. So Jesus answered and said, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. There is no one who has sacrificed all these things for my sake or the gospel. What will happen to him? Verse 30. Very quickly. Let's read verse 30 to get everybody. Who shall not receive a hundredfold? I want you to shout it. Who shall not receive a hundredfold? Now. Now. In this time. Not a time to come. God will never leave you without a reward. Why are you chasing a reward? Chase him. Chase him. Chase him. Lose your life in him. He said, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time? And he listed all those things again. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands. Even though there will be persecutions. Because you will have haters. You will have people who just can't stand your blessing. You have people who will just hate you for doing nothing other than the fact that you are being blessed by God supernaturally. So you will have persecutions. And then after this world, where houses and land and brothers and sisters will not matter again, he said, and in the age to come, what do you receive? Eternal life. So everyone must settle their minds with serving God. When I came to this country, I was not thinking about work permits and how I will get into work. I came in as a student and the pastor said, Brother Dave, you have a grace on your life to be preaching. We've been waiting for somebody like you. Blah, 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 blah. One evening service like that, he just called me. I said, from next Sunday, you'll be preaching alongside with me. I didn't tell him anything. I didn't plan anything. So he started giving me preaching assignments. So I said, I'll just get myself. I'll preach for people. Even me, myself, I had a visa that was going to expire. I didn't know what would happen after that. But I'll be praying for people. I'm praying for their situation. Teaching them faith. Asking them to trust God. Not thinking about myself. One day, a big man, the dean of my faculty, walked up to me after a message like this. He said, Dave, do you want to work with me? I said, sir, yeah, you know I'm a research student and I'm planning to go to Canada. Somebody say Canada. (laughs) He said, you know I'm planning to go to Canada. So then he looked at me, let me say everything. He said, I said, do you need a job? I said, ah, sir, yes, I need a job. (laughs) All this grammar, I don't know what I'm doing with it. (laughs) If a job is waiting. He said, I gave a job, a research assistant position, to a research fellowship position to one of my recent PhD students. He was going to start, and the project will start in two months' time. But he had just told me yesterday that he got another job, a lecturing job in Belfast, and he has taken it up. He was a Chinese guy. I knew him. He was three years ahead of me, so he just finished when I came in. And uh, the Chinese guy has gone, and he said, I'm very desperate and I think you may be able to do the job. We will interview you with other candidates, but I suspect you may be able to do the job. And uh, he said, how far is your PhD? I said, well, I'm uh, trying to round up in about a year. He said, can you finish it in six months so that you can start the job? I said, if you want it next month, I'll finish it. (laughs) When the job is waiting, even if it's next month, I'll finish it. (laughs) Six months is too much. To cut the long story short, that made me have a very compressed PhD. So by 24th month, I had submitted my thesis ready for, 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 the, for the viva. And the 27th month, by God's grace, I defended and finished it. And then I got into that job. My point is this. I was not looking for that job when that job came. I was not. I was just seeking first 
just sacrificing. And then I had a car then, after preaching like this, at the end of the service, my children would wait in the church hall. I was not the church pastor. I would, there was no, nobody knew me as anything. My children would wait in the hall like this. I would take people and back. I would go back, take people, take another set of four people, take them to town, go to places like Codsall, Pendiford, Tettenhall. Take them because of the problems we have with transportation that time on a Sunday. Then I'll come back. My children were very young. They were very, very young. Two years, three years, that kind of age. With their mom, they'll be waiting for me. And then I'll come back and pick them. They, and then I'll lock the door, the, the, the church door myself. Nobody asked me to do it. Just the love of my God. Just the love of my God. And from that one job, God began to do things for me that I cannot continue to just mention to you. I'm just telling you how the things of life naturally come to you when you sacrifice for the things of God. When you decide that you want to be a blessing to people, to God first and to people, God will always put the resources in your hand. As you sacrifice, he puts more in your hand. You sacrifice for more than, I don't know how many years now, probably 10 years, thereabouts, We've put our parents on salary, permanent salary. With my mother now has about four people that works with her, takes care of the house. The day I committed, before that time, I'll just send whatever I can and just because they were still a bit active. But the day I committed to that thing, I find that since that day, every month, every month, the resources to do it will be there. Both our parents. So when you are doing and the same thing with the commitment to the things of God, the moment you commit to sacrifice because you have obeyed the voice of God that says you should, the Lord himself will make sure that you are blessed accordingly. In the name of Jesus. So Abraham proved that obedience to the word of God is essential to, to living a sacrificial life. Samuel said to King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, you know that scripture. Say, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord. He said, behold, to obey, to obey is better than sacrifice. It simply means don't just sacrifice something for the sake of it. Make sure you are doing it in obedience to God. Imagine the day God told me in November 2012 to rise up and lead a church plant called LifeGate for him. He did, I don't have the name that time. The name came much earlier in 2013. After praying and fasting, the name LifeGate came. But the, the fact that it was going to be a church plant, November 2012, when he spoke to me about it, imagine myself saying, but Lord, you know, ah, I can always be more itinerant. I was already doing itinerant ministry, where, you know, on a Sunday to Sunday, people will invite you, you go to this church today, you come back to your main church, you go again and preach. I was doing that, and my pastors did not have any problem with it, and so on and so forth. At times, I preach in the church as well. If I had said to God that day, I said, you know, Lord, I can take this, I can double my itinerance. <laughs> I can double it for you, because, you know, how will I do a church plant? I travel, I do things. I have young, growing children. I have responsibilities. I work in consulting. I work as a full-time academic. I have never stopped working as a full-time academic. I have never stopped doing my consulting for about 20 years. I've never stopped. So if I was to look at it about 10 years ago, it did not look feasible that I could carry on because I know what a church plant entails. Sunday, 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 you are preaching like a machine. Ah, you, must be, you must have something that you are committed to and something must be working in you. And also I used to travel. I travel and travel. I said, how will it be? But when God said it's time to move, the moment I obeyed, every grace that is needed. The day I saw this building was May 26, 2013. So that you know these stories and you know that I'm not just asking you for something. I'm telling you my life and what I have tested of this word of God. May 26, 2013, 
We knew that the church would be dedicated. We did not know how. We didn't know the building. We were almost signing for one building in Bilston, back in Wolverhampton area. Almost. We went there on a Saturday like this. The next day, I was to travel to Dubai for an official assignment. And as soon as we, we, we told the man there that, okay, when I come back the following weekend, we'll sign it off and we will pay. That building is just about half of this one. Everything is about half of this building. And we were already thinking where we will partition for children and so on and so forth. And we were okay. My wife and I said, okay, that's fine. That's what God provides. But God knew that this plan was here. Hallelujah. When we reached that place and God supernaturally pointed the building to me, that day I told you the story, and God said, look to your left, that building is available. Around 6 a.m. in the morning, we were going to the airport, and as soon as I looked, I saw the building. The moment I looked at the building, it it was so convincing. I did not have more than 300 pounds in my account, believe me. But it was so convincing to me that this is the building God wants for us, and resources will be there. And I was quickly asking my wife to come here the next day. Come quickly, come next day. As if God spoke to all the pastors that were in town like that at the same time. (laughs) It was so real to me. So I didn't want any pastor to beat me here. (laughs) I wanted to get here first. And there is nothing. It was just God's prompting that was so real. As we moved in obedience, the moment we began to move, money started to follow. As we moved, money started. Before we came in here, August, we have spent over 35,000 pounds. How it came to today is just supernatural favor. Open doors, open doors here, open doors there. I did some contracts in Nigeria. To be honest with you, my mind was that they will pay me. And when they pay me, I'll just take the money. It was going to be about 26,000. I'll just take the money and pluck it into this work. I've done that many times. When I get money from some of my projects, I pluck it into the work. So I, at that time, that was my mentality. And they did not pay me that money. Till today, they have not paid me that money. <laughs> Till today. For God to show me that I don't have to calculate for him. When he said it is available, everything started to follow. And the rest, as they say, is history. Friends, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Commit to prayers. You are afraid. You think it will break some routine of sleep. <sighs> <laughs> you are afraid. Say, I can't, I can't, how can I get up at 5 a.m.? You, will you die? <laughs> the people that are doing it, they, they've done it for five years. They did not die. And they are busy like you. They also work shifts. Some of them will drive. Some of them, I hear them scrolling at 5 a.m. in a car at times, if you have to speak to them. They are already out driving. Some of the days I'm speaking to you, by 6 a.m. when I'm rounding up, I'm near London already some days. At times I'm in Brighton or very close to Brighton. We're all busy people. You think somebody has all the time. That's how they do it. No, commit. But that sacrifice is going to pay off. You know you should be singing in this choir. You know that. Every year you say, Lord, next year. Lord, you know next year. I will do it next year. (laughs) Lord, next year. You know you should. You know you can play drunk. But because nobody knows. You have never told Brother Godfrey, you know some Sundays I can help out. Because nobody knows. But God knows. I don't know you, so don't think that if you are the one, it's the Holy Spirit that is not me. <laughs> Before you come back and say, Pastor, somebody told you this thing. And you didn't, eh, eh, I, nobody told me anything. You know you can play instruments. You know you can do things here that has been there. You know these young men struggling on the media can be helped. You know you can commit, but you are afraid to commit. Why? Friends, I don't believe in just praying for the sake of praying. I believe in practical actions 
that make prayer work. There are certain things that will never change until you take certain steps. It's as simple as that. But when you learn to obey, the Bible says God said to Abraham, because you have done this thing and you did not withhold your only son and because you have obeyed my voice. 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, he said, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. 1 John 5, 2. God knows what you can do. Like I got into that little church in Kaduna, northern Nigeria. Nobody knew what God said to me, but I acted. The day I acted on the decision to come and do this church plant, nobody was there, not even my wife. I only told her, I only told her that this is what God said to me. So by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Thank you for the scripture. So, a sacrificial lifestyle demands our all. We all know Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I've explained to you what a living sacrifice is. It's a dead man walking. You are dead to self. You have crucified the flesh. You are dead to your own ordinate ambitions. You, ha- you, you no longer see the things that would be so important to you as a person in the context of living for God. That is what a living sacrifice is. You present your sacrifice wholly acceptable to God because that is your reason- reasonable service. He said, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be led by your carnal desires but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The more you see God speak to you about your mind being renewed, the more you find that you are able to prove what is good, what is acceptable, and the perfect will of God. When you know the word of God that way, you need to make yourself someone who sacrifices his lifestyle to God, someone who sacrifices his time to God, someone who sacrifices his gifts and his talents to God. In the last seven years, by the grace of God, God has introduced me in this country to the space of uh, technical, higher technical education and uh, degree apprenticeships in, within the university context. And I'm thankful to God. Today, God has given me a very privileged position to lead a university in that, in that way. But I started just looking at one course here and there, then became like a program leader and then school and so on. But, but my point is that all that I'm learning so far, I'm putting down. I'm putting down because I'm seeing opportunity of ministry in it. One of the things, by the grace of God, when we buy these buildings together, which we are doing this year, by the grace of God, this year, 2023, when we buy them together, that center will be a center to help our community with how young people who may be deprived and may not have access to all this kind of information can be prepared for the world of work, through this new route that God has introduced to this country. So we prepare them with this kind of skills that they can use to have and get them to up their grades so that they can get in and, and go through the, 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 the apprenticeship programs and get a degree at the same time. I can see it happening there. I can see us training young people with digital skills, things that will help them to be relevant in this time. Then when we teach them that way and build relationship with them, wherever their nationality, wherever they've come from, but they are within our community here, when we speak to them about the love of God, it it ministers differently. Ministers differently. Because you've shown them, like Jesus did, he shows them bread first. Eat bread. You like bread? 
eat bread. <laughs> After they eat it, he comes. Say, come to me. I am the living bread. You understand that? That's how it works. Peter is throwing, catching fish, catching fish. He said, okay, catch fish. You want to catch fish? He caught fish. His boat was almost. <laughs> they say, come, come. The real fish I want you to catch is men. You will be fishers of what? You will be fishers of what? So this is God's principle. Very divine. When God gave me this name, LifeGate Outreach Center, he said the church will be at the center, but everything you do around it must minister to the community. This is why we bring common word fellows here from countries now, like uh, this year they are coming from Nigeria, Botswana, and Kenya. We've had people from Nigeria. We've had Cameroon. We have had Rwanda, Burundi. We have had people from Ghana. Those countries that at times to get out and get a privilege to get exposure can be so difficult. God gives us the opportunity to engage our minds with universities that we are competing with and we get into that space with them and we bless humanity in this way. God is going to put resources in your hand in the mighty name of Jesus. Just continue to be sacrificial. David said in 2 Samuel chapter 24, my last scripture, verse 24 to 25. He said to Arauna, the man who owned the plot of land that was in the place where he should sacrifice. In the course of the week, I will tell you more about this story, but I like what David said here in the course of the week in, in our uh, morning's prayers. He said, no, but I will surely buy it from you. I'm reading Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. Arauna said, take the land free, just sacrifice like God wanted. He said, I will surely buy it from you for a price. Thank you. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. I won't do that. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. God was already destroying. God was angry with the children of Israel at that time. He was already destroying. He had destroyed about 70,000 of them. The sacrifice David was going to offer was to help to stay that hand. Look at what happened in verse 25. Let's go. Let's go. Verse 25. Verse 25 now. 2 Samuel 24, 25 now, please. Verse 25. I said, everybody, let's read it. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Verse 25, please. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague. Somebody say divine exploit. It's not just the burnt offerings that move God. It's not just the peace offerings that move God. The fact that he put some effort into making those burnt offerings happen, bought the land. It did not cost him any, it did not cost, it was not something that cost him nothing. It cost him something. And when you do like that and build your altar to God on that sacrificial lifestyle, you get God to heed many, many prayers. I say God will heed to many, many prayers in the name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet and trust. Well,